Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hello, it's, um, let's see, Wednesday afternoon middle of the afternoon. It took me long to get to this point in the week. I'm going to try to do the Parsha. Usually I try to get it earlier, but as I'm mentioning, uh, I've been writing up and delivering these lectures this week. Tonight is the latest one. I just finished writing up the sixth one, and it's off to my team, and hopefully we'll have it done tonight. That's the uh, latest of the Galicia yes, series, series of the Jews of Galicia. Um, and I hope we'll have it up online somehow or other before too long. Uh, but meanwhile, let's take a look at Parshas <clears throat> Balozcha. This is being sponsored by our good friend, the Glucks in Lakewood. I hope maybe it be in Lakewood in, in, before too long. Maybe we'll get together. And um, <clears throat> in Parsha Balozcha, uh, <clears throat> to me, the most interesting part is chapter 11, which is uh, the complaining of the Borching. Lahiyom ki misonim Hashem. This is, by the way, uh, this parakeet off. I mean, I know the proclamation are not Jewish, but, you know, it's good enough for our purposes. And um, this is about the complaining and then about the uh, uh, stomp borching and then and then complaining about the food. The misonim and the misavim, the taiva. Uh, we remember the food we used to eat in Egypt. There's a whole long business. This is a prime example of biblical rhetoric, by the way. It's a masterpiece of rhetoric. And what I mean by that is rhetoric is when you use language in very specific ways for effect. And usually not literal. There's a whole science to this. Dram Chal, among others, wrote books on this subject. In fact, there were a fair number of Rishonim and early Achorim that used to be writing Sfarim on rhetoric, which they took mainly from the Bible. I'm talking about the Ram Chal Sefer Melitza. But he ain't the only one. And the idea of expressing yourself in a certain way is uh, particularly noticeable in this week's Parsha, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu says, and again, it's a very poetic way, he's talking to God, and he says, Am I the, the one who gave birth to them? You want me to carry him like a baby? That's rhetorical language, because Moshe knows that God, he didn't give birth to them, and God doesn't want him to physically carry him like a baby, right? And later especially, well, we'll get to that in a second. So what's going on over here? In Parsha Baloschot, we finally make the move, uh, as I think I mentioned last week. From Shmos all the way through Vayikra until this Parsha, the Jews are in one place called Mount Sinai. First they got the Ten Commandments there, one time, two times. Then they had the Mishkan, and the Mishkan was at the base of the mountain, and that's where the Book of Vayikra takes place. And then... They're going to get ready to leave, but they haven't left in by Midbar now, so they're doing different countings and censuses and things like that. Okay. But now, finally, in our parsha, get around to it. It's about Yisu, Mehar Hashem, Derech Shloshes Yamim. Right? That's when you have Vahibin Sarum, Vahibin Meshach, Kum Hashem, excuse me, Vahfutsa Vechot, and so forth. So, in this week's parsha. Okay, no problem. So, 
<clears throat> they actually get hit the road. And remember, as I said, the plan is to march off and conquer Israel. They didn't know they are going to have Miraglam. That's coming up. What, next week? They're just marching off. And as soon as they march off, three days into the desert, for the first time, starts the complaining. And, you know, I can kind of get that. You know, they weren't used to the desert and so on. It's over there on Bong, talks like that. Why did God blow up? For some reason, it doesn't say what they're complaining about as it's famous. You know, Rashi has to give you different chazals and stuff. But it says, It was Ra in the Oznei Hashem. Uh, it's funny, it doesn't say Ve'eni Hashem. It says the Oznei Hashem, which is unusual uh, uh, language form. Uh, right? You know what I mean? Usually it's Ra Ve'eni Hashem. Okay, fine. So Ve'hiyam Kisami Ra Ve'oznei Hashem must be that they're borching and complaining was uh, something that bothered God because he doesn't have ears, of course, but, you know, it's audio. So God heard this and blew up. And a fire from God came down and burnt. It consumed. So he must have said something pretty insulting. If you ask me, myself, and I, is this a guess? They must have cussed out God. I mean, that's what it sounds like. They said, you know, this, and they said that. They must have been, you know, speaking in particularly familiar and vile terms. Because otherwise, why would Hashem blow up? If you're just complaining, the, like the Ramban said, the desert is too much, or some other Mepharshim say they were scared of going off the Bechor says they're afraid of marching off the war. It doesn't sound like... You know, why, why should it get such a blow up about it? And as we know, it doesn't ever tell you what exactly the complaints were about. And whenever you have, in my opinion, one of these types of parshas, it's usually good to look at the Barbanel. It's always very original. And strikes me over here, I think something very interesting, and that is, you and I are used to hearing that the people in Egypt who left these and after all got the Torah were adored Deo, Heimadrega. Yes, they messed up with the ego, but nevertheless, Heimadrega, and so forth and so on. Uh, after all, they're the people who got the 613 mitzvahs. But they don't act that way, it doesn't seem that way from the Torah, unless you read it in a very forfrumpt way. It doesn't act that way. And the, the Barbanel says black and white that they were a mess up. Uh, it's not me talking, it's him talking. If you look at the Barbanel, he says, Sipar Akasev, where is it now? Vahiyam Kimisonim, Sipar Akasev, Shem Hiyos B'nei Yisrael Amdu B'Sinai Shana Achas, the Jews had been over a year at the foot of Har Sinai. V'kibbu Shem Tar Mitzvah, and they got the most exalted and lofty thing, the Tar and the Mitzvah. Wasn't you and me, David the one that got it. Lemudim, Tocheches Elois Heinu, and they're full of all kind of good musr and things like that. Lo nifredu, in spite of everything we just said, and um, the Moshe Rabbeinu was there. Lo nifredu me'emunasim haraos la'kosus shalom mitzrayim betochem mitzvah poshim. But they never lost their bad characteristics and their stupid beliefs, the kosus false beliefs that they had when they lived among the bad Egyptians.
So it's incredible. You have a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I mean, they had a lot of once-in-a-lifetime experiences. The Ten Plagues, the Splitting of the Red Sea, the Maimaracine, and all the other business. It, you know, but as the old expression, you can't take a, you can take him out of Virginia, you can't take Virginia out of him. Below Nizro, Gamkain Mehamidos Amagunos. And not only the Barbanel says, did they were they theologically screwed up? Screwed up. As he says, Lo Nifredu may umunasam haraos, the hakozvos, shalom be mitzrayim, betoch mitzam pishim. So not only were their hashkafas, their theology wrong, but their midos were not purified uh, by the experience of Harsina. That's just incredible. It's, it's, it's really interesting, right? You'd think, after what they saw, Atta Reso Das, etc., that it would have a profound impact on your Hanhagas, on your Musr. Negative. Below Nizru Gamke Mehamidus Hamagunus. So here we are nowadays, right? This is a good speech for a rabbi. Well, he's not going to give it. He's got one of these big shoals, which have Kiddush Rishon, Kiddush Ravi, <laughs> Kiddush Tisha, sorry, fancy schmancy food, you know, and you go hopping from one shoal to the other, and the guy's like, it's okay here, but they ain't got no object, you know, or here they only had, uh, you know, booze that was uh, 180 a bottle. The other place, they have stuff that was 600 bucks a bottle, and so on and so forth. That emphasis on the Michael Amishta, I repeat, the emphasis on the Michael Amishta is very Egyptian, he says. It's not a Jewish thing. Those people you see around uh, that, you know, are so much like on Shabbos, for example, into all these fancy kiddushes and food as Egyptian characteristics. And being shatuf, you know, ungestop, but Michael and Mishra Shalom and Mitzrayim. Give a mockum shatora lahis, bala ishirim by Munus Hamitios, but Midas Yushabachos. The whole point of the Torah that Barbara points out was to change those two things. To change your hashkafas, your theology, your understanding of God. And also, because the Jewish religion is not just theological, the Jewish religion is unique, as we know, because in addition to the theology, which is very important, by the way, right, to get as far as a person is able to get, and all the Maimonides and stuff, it's very important, but also the Midos HaMeshubachas. But it's got to carry over into the Midos department. This is like Yisrael Salanto, it is like Musser. If the guy is very learned, but acts like a jerk and a half, then what's the point? He does the bad Midos. Hinehem, lo kiblu Musser. And then, doesn't it sound like a schmooze, you know? But not a schmooze nowadays, because you would never insult anybody in the Chumash. Only the barber can do that. Heim lo kibla musr. V'tamid hayu meshukoim v'hevsedeyoseim. And therefore they were still orangutan, sunk. Even after all that they've gone through, the luchos rishonos, the luchos shneos, the construction of the mishkan, oh, the miracles, the mon, the, the, the bear, I mean, you name it. They were still stuck with their false um, hashkafas, the, the bad theology. And with fressing, like Zolobasobe. Those was this materialism, which is focused on pleasure. 
and all the lousy min um, that they picked up in Egypt. So it's just incredible. And that's why it just said that they were preceded three days by the battle ark. Because it says Aaron Bris Hashem this is the famous theory, which is debated in the Sifri, in the Chazal, whether there was one Aaron or two, whether there were two arcs or not. Uh, according to those that say that there were two arcs, so one of them, as you and I know, stayed in the middle of the camp, as was described in great detail last week. It's Mamash, the center of the flags and the camps, and they tell you how the tribes camped around them, and, you know, the orange breeze was in the middle of, Hashem, of the Machina. On the other hand, here they're marching off, and it says the orange breeze Hashem was no seal of Nahum. So, one way to understand is it's the second orange. is orange A and orange B. Then, of course, you get into the question, which is debated in the Chazal, which one had Luchas and which one had the Shibri Luchas. But whatever the case is, the point, uh, rhetorically, according to the Barbanel, that the Pasuk is making is, even though it says, "Aron bris Hashem no seilf neim va'anan Hashem alehem yomom benosim enamachne," so lechayre they should be um, surrounded by visible, physical, you know, evidences of God's presence and and providence. Hineheim chazur lechisronim im b'deus b'imimidus, but they screwed it up, and they went back on their old bed midos and their old bed hashkafas. In which case you have a tribute to human orneriness, and that really got Hashem angry, apparently. Okay, isn't that amazing, Abarbanel? So don't give me a big business about the door of day, according to him. But Tom cautions him, and he goes on to talk about other things, right? So the idea is that when Hashem basically threw up his hands in frustration, that's why a fire came out and killed everybody. He says, "Nach all those." After we had all the miracles and all the other stuff, still there all this. It, it, notice it even hasn't made a dent on their midos, it hasn't made a dent on the hashkafas, and consequently, uh, the fire burned. Now it's interesting because I think people know from Rashi that some say that the people who were burned were the uh, asafsuf, the uh, the new the erav, uh, and some say the people who were burned were the elites, the leaders of the tribes. And so, you know, I guess the way you understand that is, to what do you do? You do attribute the persistence of all these big characteristics among the Jews. So, one way of looking at it is to say to blame the Arab. You know, they left Egypt, but they took pieces of Egypt with them. You understand? They left Egypt physically, but they brought up on Egyptians. I understand these are the Egyptians that you know wanted to leave with them, but maybe it was a bad idea. As I said many times, pointed out, not said, the famous Madrash says that Hashem told Moshe, I don't want you to take the Arab out. And Moshe said, Lola Makabun, you know, Hashabim, you know, you can't turn anybody down if he wants to join the Jewish people. Uh, so Moshe had more of like NCSY type approach. Now Hashem said, I'm warning you, it's not a good idea. And Moshe went and did it anyway. And here we see the chickens come home to roost because, according to this, you know, since Mitzrayim was still there, in the 
person of these Arab types, <coughs> some people who talked to the magician, they kept up the Egyptian ideas, they kept up the Egyptian beliefs in one form or another. And now it came to kick in our parsha this week because, uh, you know, Hashem hears what they're saying and maybe as a result of their conversations with the Arab, they started talking like Egyptians again. And that would make the whole, you see, some trying to waste of time. And therefore, so according to this, it's like one of these bug zappers that the fire came out and killed the air rav, as, as, as it would say. Uh, how does Rashi say it? Yeah, he says those words. <coughs> However, there's another opinion that says it was the elites, the Nazis and people like that. Right? In which case, you'd say that the people in charge of the tribes, the Rabbonim, as we would say today, weren't up to speed and were not doing their job. Because how can it be these people are under your care and they're still, you know, around with this kind of, they're still Masonian. So it seems then, if that's true, that the Masonian wasn't simply borching or complaining, but see something, you know, uh, a little more than that. Seems they were speaking like Egyptians, in which case their hashkafas were wrong and their midos were wrong. I have no doubt um, that the people who were like in the ear route, I'm talking about the bad ones, and the people in the Asafsu, also from the ear route, the Rambam says that they're the um, the bad gear. I told you there's Gerd Sedek, and then there's mm. Um, so according to this, they planted the seeds of doubt in everybody. They messed everybody else over. So they kept their Amunas alive, and they kept their Hashkafas, their uh, Musar alive, you know, their Midos. So it's a fascinating question. People have asked me, would Erev Rao, for example, at the Maimon Harsinai? Yeah. Um, were they there when Moshe came down with, with uh, again and again from the Old Moi with all the <coughs> different rules they find the book of Iker? The answer is yeah. Yeah. And so, <coughs> here you have the very interesting question <coughs> of interpretation. If I were a member of the Arab, <coughs> and I'm saturated in Egyptian ideas, even though the ten plagues impressed me enough that I was willing to leave Egypt, especially Makas Bechoros made a big impression on me, but that doesn't mean that these Erev Rav types understand Hashem as a Kol Yachol and Echoven Yechid Kichudo and all that business. They simply understood him as being a very powerful God. That's the one I'm one of my side. Where I'm, better yet, I want to be on his team. Because that's a very, very powerful God. It beat the gods of Egypt. But there still are gods of Egypt, right? In other words, it's not just Hashem, Eino Milvado. There's all kind of, you know, he's powerful, no question about it. And like I said, I want to hook up on his team. But he ain't the only guy in town, not the only game in town. When in reality, he is. <laughs> there are no other gods. Um, these guys didn't see it that way. And so, they're going, as I understand it, <clears throat> this implies <clears throat> that all the experiences that we see in Shemos of Akram and Midbar were interpreted through the lenses of these Avra people according to the cultural context in which they've been raised. And so if they saw, you know, Kol Hashem Bakoach, Kol Hashem Ba'adar, all the different things that you find in the Harsinai, they said, you know, there's a bunch of gods up there, or God has many parts to him. 
If they heard him say, you know, I don't know, I give you a curse, they interpret it in their own paganistic way, because that's their upbringing. And if they heard laws about Shemitah and Yobo, carbon Tomatira, I'm sure, you know, they, they interpret it in their own paganistic ways. And um, if it says, don't shecht anymore to demons, I'm sure that in their minds they were still going to shecht the demons. You know? Um, and, by the way, the Meshach Chachma says that's what the Vosser thing was about, you know. It wasn't a matter they wanted me, but they wanted it to be for, you know, paganistic ways or stuff like that without having to do all the carbonist business. The point is that uh, the Ksia Machina, according to this, would be, um, how should I put it, referring to the Ayur Rav, if that is true, it's Mashma. I say it's Mashma, that this was the end of the Ayur Rav, if that's true. Matocha B'Ksia Machina doesn't literally mean geographically the edge of the camp where the Hebrews were um, staying, but rather the the marginal groups, in this case, these Egyptian Gerim and semi Gerim, and uh, they went down because of, of the reason I just mentioned. It's very fascinating to think of it that way, and uh, it puts a spin on it. But again, you can't go around and say it's a Dordea of unparalleled extent and so forth and so on. So that might explain why Hashem basically, let, let me put it this way. If what I just said is true, then the way to read this whole thing is in reference to the Erev Rav. The Am, the Erev Rav, started butching. Rav Ozen Hashem, Hashem said, I've had it. So that means at this, at this occasion, he killed the Erev Rav. This is very interesting. Now, I don't know if it means every one of them. I mean, I can't tell. But he killed the Erev Rav, because that's who it struck. Now, again, if you learned that it's talking about the leaders, so it was a, it struck the leaders. But if you talk about the Erev this would be like the end of that Parsha, meaning the end of the story of the Erev uh, it's, it's It's kind of interesting. And then it would be also interesting, because it says the Jewish people pray for Moshe to stop, and it stopped. So maybe it was in the process of killing all the Erev And um, then the Jews said, don't do that. And so he didn't. But the fire died down. So uh, it's, you know, it's uh, kind of remarkable. Now, in addition to that, it's uh, then you had another group that was into uh, fressing. They got tithes and they complained about the food. Again, we have all these different schools of thought. This story that we have today doesn't sound like the story that the mon could be whatever you wanted it taste like. Because they're complaining that, you know, it's the same thing morning breakfast, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and supper all the time. This mun, which tasted like coriander seed, whatever that is. So, there's nothing wrong with coriander seed, but, you know, you get sick and tired of it if you have it every day for breakfast, lunch, and supper. And so, the result is that, um, as we know, they start, as we know, they start complaining about the food. Now, the interesting thing is like this. Look at the Pusik very closely. Uh, they said, we can't stand this money anymore. It's, it doesn't taste good, and so forth and so on. Built the all money. Nenu, it's all we see in our eyes is the money, meaning it wasn't prepared well. Okay. 
And apparently they got so uh, uh, distraught with not having good food and they were in the middle of the desert and so forth. Even though they should have said pretty soon we'll be in Israel, we'll conquer the country, we'll take it over, but whatever. Uh, the whole families were crying. And then it says, That's just, just an interesting um, statement. Notice in the previous Pasuk, back in uh, Aleph, it said, Here it says, So um, either it's because even after, as a follow up, it's particularly infuriating. You just punished, penalized the uh, other you know, uh, families we just talked about. You know, you just penalized the families that were complaining abortion, and now comes another one. Um, so it says, Hashem Moshe Ra. Now that's interesting already. And in the eyes of Moshe was bad. Now, does that mean the way we usually read it, which is it bothered Hashem and it bothered Moshe? Then the, it's interesting the differentiation between the description of the two. Then on one can on the one hand, it would say, um, you know, uh Hashem. And then the other one it would say, Baini Moshe Ra. In one case God's nose, the nostrils flared, and the other one and his eyes are flared. It got angry bad. And then you'd go on to read the rest of the story, how he sends them the quail and all the rest of it. But notice the people are complaining. And then Moshe goes on a rant and basically loses it because he said, I can't stand this anymore. This could be read. I don't think Rashi, to my knowledge, does that. But he says, you know, because they go with the Chazal who talks about that's not the Pashim shot at all. So what I'm suggesting, what's happening over here is again very interesting. And it says like this, Moshe Rabbeinu look as unique. So he could tell when Hashem's moves were and so forth and so on. So it says, the people are complaining and um, Hashem God got very angry. If Hashem gets very angry, that's very dangerous. Any Moshe raw. And in the eyes of Moshe it was bad. I think what it means is it was bad in the eyes of Moshe that Hashem was getting angry. Therefore, he diverts, in a mosaic way, the object onto himself. Because uh, Hashem's going to say like this, are you going to be able to to handle this on your own? You know. That's not clear. Let me put it this way. It's bad in the eyes of Moshe, Hashem's getting angry. So Moshe proceeds to do is turn the conversation in a different direction and make it all about himself and being mis. Uh, was re- a a, a uh, mistreated employee? Lama, because it says like this: uh, Next line: Moshe shifts the entire focus of the conversation uh, away from what the people are doing to himself. Uh, very interestingly, and he says, "How come you don't like me? Did I get birth to these people? I can't carry around like a baby." And then he finishes with his rhetoric, his rhetorical, you know, where he says, Kill me. 
But I'll ever see. I'll ever see. I don't want to see my bed. Meaning, this whole situation where the people are complaining about the food and their bochalomish bechosov affected Moshe so heavily in, in the emotional sense that he says, I can't stand to be, you know, in this raw state. My eyes are seeing the evil. Because it says, the any Moshe raw. And here he says, I'll ever see. So there's some visual verb he's using over here. Even though, you know, he doesn't mean literally that you see evil in the sense of evil is a chepso, but in effect, you're seeing the results of evil, and I can't stand it. So, to use simple English, Moshe said, this has put me in such a blue funk. I'm so depressed, all the rest of it. Just kill me and get it over with. And Hashem doesn't say, as he has the right to do, you shut up, Moshe, get back in line, and, you know, just you have a complaint, send it to the complaint department, or something like that. Instead, Hashem said, we'll get you 70 helpers, take it easy, don't give up the shit, and so forth. Um, which is just very interesting. Now, as I said, this statement of Moshe is that I'm not a ba- I'm not a, a, a midwife who gave birth to them and a mother who carried them, that's rhetoric. Of course, it's not literal. Hashem does the same thing. Because after he says... Okay, Israel, get me 70 people. We'll put them working for you, Moshe, and helping you out. So people have complaints, they'll go to them. Hashem says, Viratati, which is a very interesting verb, I will descend. Meaning, obviously, he's not going down, you know, in the regular. Viratati means I'm going to uh, lower my madrega, Hashem says, you know, lower myself to speak with these 70 people and give them a little bit of Yeruach, and then you'll have helpers. But then Hashem says, Get ready, to tomorrow you'll have a surfeit of meat. So why did Hashem simply say, tomorrow you're going to have meat, now shut up. No, God turns into an orator. He says, you, you, you understand? Not once, not twice. I told you ten times. Not three times, not four times. That's rhetoric. Hashem simply could have said <coughs> that you're going to get meat for, for, for 30 days. And then he says it's going to go out of your nose. It'll go out of your nose and make you nauseous. Again, that's rhetorical. That's not literally true. The meat that you eat. It's not going to come out of your nose. You see? Because you were mo'es Hashem, which is you treated God with a disdain, with disrespect. And um, and that got everybody angry. Okay, And of course, Moshe himself says very famously, can you really feed, uh, you know, uh, all these people, Basar, Atain, Lohem, they want steak, baby. You know, they want, uh, you know, when I say buffalo wings, they want buffalo. <laughs> and Hashem gets angry, so you think I can't do it? But he never does do it. Does Hashem bring a belt of basar to the Jews? Not exactly. What Moshe said was, can you really provide for a people like this that are lusting so much after me that I should look over the horizon in the desert and see 10 million head of cattle coming our way? Hashem doesn't send even one head of cattle. Instead, he does that business with the uh, with the Meraglim. I'm sorry, with the, uh, what am I thinking of? My head's not working so old time. Sorry about that. Um, instead, he, he, he sends them on the um, the birds, the quail. 
he doesn't send a huge amount of, uh, of meat uh, in in the busser sense. But this is, by the way, one of the places we learned that 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 uh, oaf is a, is is a busser in, in in some dinim. You know that's tricky. But um, uh, again, the same idea until it comes out of your nose. Well, that's rhetoric. And v'hayelam because I make you throw up. That's rhetorical. They didn't actually, you know, throw up in the simple sense, unless you say they got struck them with a thing later on and they died miraculously. But push them shot, you know, you could get, I know plenty of people, you give them steak for 30 days in a row, they'll still want more. Um, and finally, they call the place Kivrus Ataiva. One of my favorite uh, Rabbi Soloveitchik things, because he used to like the, uh, you go online, I heard it online, Purple Prose. He likes overripe English because. He came from Europe, he wanted to show, especially in those days, a hundred years ago, that he knows English better than foreign rabbis. And he said, the Kivros HaTaiba, the sepulchre of the voluptuaries, <laughs> which is which is pretty good. Um, now, what does that mean? You see a dissonance in this week's Parsha between the glorious mission they're heading off to, which is to conquer the land, and the human failures of the actual people that the, that the year they spent with Harsini and all the rest, it didn't do the trick. And then you followed up with Moshe and Aaron complaining. I'm, I'm sorry, Miriam and Aaron complaining about Moshe. So the unraveling is started with the people ends up with the elites. Um, that's the separate parsha by itself. We're already a little over time over here. But I wanted to point out, uh, as I said before, that we have all these wonderful examples of rhetoric, of, of language used oratorically to pound you, the reader. So the Chumash has 10,000 faces, as we all know. Anyway, that's just a few insights into the Parsha. Once again, I want to thank the Glucks, as often, as always, for being there. And uh, with that, I bid you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.